I believe that every one of us can create beautiful images, feel fulfilled and improve our well-being through photography. The Quiet Landscapes podcast explores the life and work of photographers, creatives and thought leaders through monthly conversations that will inspire you. My name is Margaret Soraya and I'm so glad that you are here. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Quiet Landscapes podcast and in this episode I'm talking with Justine Ritchie who is based in the Northwest Highlands. Her work is inspired by elemental landscapes and seascapes of the Highlands and Islands and Justine works in a more mindful and intuitive um, and a much more immersive approach and this is what has drawn me to her work. Um, I think all of those words, mindful, intuitive and immersive, which are written on her, her website, uh, just capture my attention and I just get completely lost in those words. I think it's just just wonderful. So I was really interested to talk to Justine a little bit more about her photography. So can you um, just give the, the listeners a little bit of background um, about your photography? Um, are you a full-time photographer? How long did um, how long have you been in photography, etc.? Sadly, I'm not a full-time photographer. Um, I'm the wearer of many hats, um, and I think I probably always have been. Um, although, I guess in terms of the hours that I put into photography, they they pretty much um, ramp up to to full-time hours. Um, so I I've only be, I mean I've been using a camera for, for many years. And I think initially a camera was a way of recording my travels and adventures, um, you know, from my, from my youth onwards. Um, and it didn't become an obsession as such until a few years ago, um, about 10 years ago, actually. And I was um, living in New Zealand and I lived there for four years. And became totally obsessed by the wonderful landscapes out there and spent more and more time behind my camera. Um, and at that time, you know, I had just an entry-level DSLR. Um, prior to that, I'd used film. Um, and I didn't really know how to use the settings or anything and became more and more sort of obsessed with with spending time outside um, and... And then when I came back from New Zealand, I decided, right, I'm going to have to, I really want to learn how to, to do all this properly. So I just signed up for a, a local adult education course in photography. And I spent three terms um, getting to, to grips with, you know, the, the exposure triangle and all the technical side of how to, how to use my camera on manual um, so that I could use it obviously more creatively. Um, and then um that was that was it really I just spent I think because my style of learning is very much visual kinesthetic um I needed to be out there in the field experimenting with settings and 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 doing all that um and just it's been a a, a big learning curve and experimenting um and doing different styles of photography so that's that's where it where it came from initially um, so, and I think when I, when I used a camera just to kind of record travels and adventures, I was very much 
you know, outdoors, connecting to the landscape physically anyway. And I was often in places where I would need to be using the camera at very sort of um, different angles than you would normally be shooting anyway, because I'd be crawling through cave systems or up a rock face or, you know, going down rapids and, and you know, trying to document what I was doing. And so I think that those early connections to the landscape um, and, and being able to notice things that otherwise, you know, I wouldn't normally have, have seen um, stood me in good stead, you know, for later on when I became, you know, when I took it more seriously and, and wanted to, to, to focus on sort of landscape, wild landscapes in particular. Yeah, I think one of the things that you mentioned um, at, sort of at the beginning there was about the technicals, and um, we were we were chatting earlier about how uh, this podcast is a very non-technical photography podcast, um, and uh, you know, a lot, lot of the people that I am I'm speaking with are less um, concerned about the technicals and more concerned about the the emotive or the reasons or the the mindful aspects behind photography. And, um, but I do think, and you quite rightly pointed out, you need to get to grips with those technicals first so that you can use the camera in a creative way. Um, and I think a lot of people battle with that, don't they? And, but, but spending that little bit of time at the beginning, um, stands you in good stead then, doesn't it? Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I think, you know, getting to know your camera, um, is essential, um, and, and then you can really use it to, you know, and explore different ways and, and have that more immersive approach. Um, so I, you know, I'm certainly not settings led at all. I don't go out, you know, thinking, right, okay, I'm going to put this on F16 and whatever. I, I do it very, very sort of intuitively and an experiment. I break the rules totally. Um, I'm probably the most, um, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a, a traditional landscape photographer in that, you know, I have very minimal kit. I have a love-hate relationship with a tripod. I've never found one that <laughs> can get to the right height or stays up. You know, in, in Hebridean winds, it's pretty hard to um, to get a, a tripod to, to stand still. But I also find it's, I can never set it at the right angle that I want. So I'm either lying prone on the ground or you know, clinging with one hand to some heather and looking over some edge or, you know, I'm in locations where a tripod just doesn't quite work. But I also feel if I use a tripod, I'm not as connected to the landscape. With the camera in my hand, I've got that connection. And I feel far more in tune. And, you know, I always use the, the viewfinder. I very rarely use the back screen. And it's just lifting the camera to my eye. Um, I just lock into this flow and and really feel like I'm connecting with that landscape. But even before I lift the camera to my eye, I can spend, you know, hours even just watching what's going on around, you know, watching a spindrift blow off the waves or the, the way the marram grass is blowing in the wind. And I think that is sort of underpins how I then um, choose to set up the shot or what kind of um, 
technique, in-camera technique that I might use, such as in-camera movement or um, multiple exposures. So I think it's that connection. And, and I'm totally in the moment when I'm behind my camera. You know, I'd, it's not, the mindfulness isn't something I have to try to do. I think mindfulness and um, photography are inextricably linked. Um, it, it comes naturally, whereas, you know, other mindful practices such as yoga, I feel my mind is wandering. I'm not totally there. But with the camera, that's it. I'm, I'm not thinking about the past, the present, what I'm having to cook for dinner. I am just so focused. Um, and, it, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's very immersive. I totally lose track of time when I'm behind the lens and feel that, you know, what I'm producing is, is what I'm feeling. Um, so what I'm creating in camera is, is something that's, um, that's very, there's that emotional connection to, to the landscape. Perfect. That's, that's so much there. It resonates with, with myself. So I totally get that. I, I am the same with yoga or meditation. I, I have to focus on being in that moment, but in with the camera, don't have to. It just comes naturally to me. So I, I totally understand what you're saying there, um, and I also understand. Um, just just to mention, actually, you touched on a, a, a quite an important point there about tripods. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that um, when I lead workshops, a lot of the the women. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. A lot of the women. Um, prefer not to use tripods um, and, and I think it's one of the things that um, we struggle with a little bit because we're, we're supposed to you're supposed to use a tripod to be a proper landscape photographer um, and then what, if I turn around so you don't have to you can just kind of hold it and let it let it move um, then it, it frees you up and I do think that's a really creative way of using the camera um, and it's really nice that you've said that because it maybe helps other people who are also battling with the tripod issue. <laughs> um, but I definitely think that it's a certain style of um, photography that is maybe more creative and motive. Saying that I use tripods, so that's not that's not set in stone. It's just um, I just wanted to mention that. Um, and I also I can see how you work because you you're doing a lot of ICM multiple exposure. Um, I do a lot of unintentional camera movement <laughs> in the Hebrides when, uh, because I'm using tripods. And as you said, the Hebridean winds are fierce, so sometimes the um, the camera's moving on the tripod anyway. So we we just we just let that let that be almost. Um, but I like I can just imagine you lying in the in the grasses and being free with your photography. It's amazing. I feel really excited. I think um, everybody should go and and check out Justine's website and um, Instagram account. Um, because the images that I see, and I've seen, actually, I've been watching you for a little while. Because I, when I when I saw your work, it just felt very um, soft and gentle and connected and and deep. But but softness, I think, is one of the things. And you seem to be able to do that over and over again with various techniques. Um, so that's it's really lovely to to hear about your work. Um, I just wanted to ask you um, about where you've you. When you were living in egg, now that's when I first noticed you because you were living in egg, and, and eggs are incredibly um, remote and beautiful place. It's also quite 
um, I suppose, hard to live there. But I, I was just interested as to why you were there and how you came to be there and did you enjoy your, your time there? Egg, yes, Egg is a very, very special place. Um, and I'd before I moved up there, um, I had spent three consecutive years going up there as a conservation volunteer. Um, and in those times, each time I'd gone, I'd spent slightly longer. So the first time I went, I spent probably about two weeks. Second time, I spent three weeks. And the next time, I spent three months. And then realized that the next time I went, I'd be making a permanent move. Um, it was just getting the timing right to to make that leap. Um, and I also knew it was somewhere that if I wanted to pursue photography seriously, then it would be the best place to nurture that because it was a wild landscape. Was a, you know, I'd got to know um, some of the community because I was working on some of the crofts and, and, and working as a volunteer, you, you know, it, there's only 106 people I think now. Um, so you get to know everybody pretty quickly. Um, so I moved up there, had an opportunity for some other work, working in the shop. Um, and going back to what you're saying about whether photography was my, um, was whether I was full time, um, and my wearer of many hats, you know, I think in the Highlands and Islands, wearing more than one hat is the norm. You know, I used to dread the question um, of what do you do? Because I'd say, well, I do a bit of this and a bit of that. And, um, but up there, it was like, great, you know, you, you know, you can lamb, you can carve, you can um, paint and decorate. Great, you know, we can put you to work at various different things. So while I was on the island, as well as trying to set up my own photography work, um, I worked in the shop, which was the best way to get to know the locals. Um, and because I moved there in the September, so I was there over the first winter when, you know, it's mainly residents only um, and you're down to three ferries a week. Um, so it was the best time to, to get to know everyone. Um, I also then worked as a remote and rural senior health and social care support worker, which is probably the longest job title I've ever had. Um, so I was part-time working at the health centre on Egg. Um, and then I also had two voluntary roles as um, a first responder and coordinator and also a Coast Guard rescue officer. So you're juggling, you, you are job juggling. Um, you could be doing five roles in one day. Um, but the photography, you know, it was the best place I could get up early in the morning. And, you know, there are the most amazing sunrises and sunsets on egg. And it's, although it's a tiny island, it's vast. You've got the cliffs, you've got locks, lochans, the beaches, forest. It's, it's, it's got a bit of everything. So in terms of having that as a, um, basically a canvas to work to work from um, was absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's also where I started doing um, a bit of product and process photography for um, mainly artists, artisans and local craftspeople. So I was doing some work for um, someone who um, takes raw wool and they hand dye it using colors from the landscape. So 
pots of birch leaves are boiling to, to make dyes. And so I did the, the process photography for, for her um, and working with, with various other people. So that's another sort of side of photography that I like in terms of working with people and the sort of creative communities that there are in the highlands and islands. Um, so yeah, and it's it's remote, but I think there's a difference between living in somewhere that's remote and somewhere that you feel isolated. And I certainly didn't feel isolated on egg. I felt more isolated in Hampshire village that I'd been living in with nearly 2,000 people and I didn't even know my next door neighbours. Um, on egg, I knew everybody. And I think it's that supportive kind of community and that you get up here in the highlands and islands that I totally fell in love with. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true that, isn't it? It's uh, the isolation you can feel in the city is um, completely different to the, the the lovely isolation of the highlands. I've lived in a lot of um, small places as well, and um, you can feel very um, there's a, there can be real sense of community in these small areas. Egg is um, somewhere I've been to once. I think I went to photograph a house. I was doing some um, house photography on egg and we ended up I remember it really well because we had to cycle with all the kit up to the house and um because you're not allowed to drive on it are you so we, we took everything in the my partner came with me so we, we shared the, the kit load of, of cycling um but it beautiful lake lake bay is it bay is it lake bay is it called lag bay yeah absolutely stunning i keep meaning to go back but i, I um it's the thought of carrying everything <laughs> to get off the ferry otherwise I would be I would have been back more by now you hitch basically <laughs> hitch with a local yes I must must try that um but yeah wonderful the islands are as you say absolutely wonderful I love that um about particularly in Lewis we noticed that that the, the the postie is usually playing in the wedding band at night and then delivering a lamb in the morning <laughs> Um, everybody kind of has that that sort of lifestyle and it is a it's a wonderful lifestyle isn't it in, in a lot of ways but as a photographer you you're right when we're looking at the realities of being photographers in the genres that we're in it's um it's very difficult to just simply be one thing so why not do lots of different things to support it I've supported my landscape photography with my weddings um for for, for many years so um, it's really nice for people to hear that, I think, because um, I don't know, I think people maybe look at us and go, well, you've got this wonderful life and all you do is landscape photography, but actually the reality is very different, isn't it? Totally. But I think also doing those other things brings another dimension to the photography because you've got other things to draw from. Um, you know, when I was living and working in New Zealand, I again, I was wearing many different hats while you know, while spending time behind my camera. And I, I taught um, English to community groups of migrants and refugees. And I used a lot of photography within my teaching as a way to elicit the language because I found that showing them photographs or getting them to take their own photographs and then talk about them was the best way to, to get them to actually learn the language. Um, so... Uh, you know, and I was a real advocate of learning outside the classroom. So we'd just go out um, and, you know, everybody has a phone or a camera. So it was a case of going out and getting them to take their photos. So I think, you know, 
I've always, I think the photography has, has blended in the roles that I've done, or I've been able to find that empathy or, you know, different connections um, through my photography from the things that I have done work-wise. Um, you know, I understand, I also, when I was in New Zealand, I was, I had a small holding, so I had, you know, sheep and cattle and within my first six weeks of being in New Zealand, I delivered my first calf. And um, so then coming to these communities, I have that understanding. And I think it's the connection, not just to the landscape, but to the people who live and work in those landscapes. And you, you know, that whole immersive approach is not just about the visual landscape that you're seeing. It's about the history and the culture and the folklore that's woven into that landscape. And I think having an understanding of that um, makes your images more, gives them more authenticity because you've taken the time to understand that community and the culture and how it all works. Um, and that is, is, is represented in the landscape, um, you know, from the dry stone walls, from the croft cottages, and you get a sense of that, being amongst that. And I think it's, it's being able to, you know, there's that invisible kind of weave of, of the culture and history, again, a, a lo alongside the more tangible, physical aspects of the landscape. So, and it's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to have lived in a place and inhabited somewhere um, and made those connections. And that's ongoing, you know, I'm still learning, I'm still finding things, I'm still discovering, you know, the moment, um, you know, I'm interested in rocks and, and finding all these different patterns of lichen on the rocks. So, you know, my focus is is very much on the landscape and how things got there and um, just the beauty of that. Um, and I hope that comes across in my work in that, you know, there's a sense of that sense of place and that spirit of place um, that is embedded in, in, in the images. Yes, I think you've just articulated something that I've been trying to um, to. to to figure out in my head for, for for quite a long time actually and somebody asked me the other night I was doing a camera club talk and they asked me are you interested in I can't remember where, I think they said Iceland and some other places are you interested in photographing these places like um no not really um I maybe maybe if the the there's amazing waves there I would give it a go but to me Scotland for me is somewhere that I have these connections with and I have this depth of understanding about so the photography is born from that so if I was to go to somewhere maybe like say let's say Greece I don't have that understanding I don't have that those connections so it doesn't it doesn't mean as much so um that you've just what you just said there it starts to make sense of that I have um a lot of um now connections with communities on the Hebrides and um, a real a love, a real deep love of the landscape, and that's where the images come from. Um, so that that really helps. I wonder if if other people can think of that as well. So the listeners, if they're thinking about what they um, love photographing, it's probably because you've got connections. Is that right? Is that does that resonate with you? I think I think it definitely helps in that it. It, provide, it gives you gives 
it more of an emotional connection from from my point of view when I'm creating that image because I'm 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 feeling it more um and I've taken the time to understand and and also you know I'm I've got this wonderful book um about the the Gallic place names um that are on the maps and they are so revealing and the Gallic language is so expressive of 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 place names and I think um the the Gallic translation for for wind is breath of the skies which I think is utterly beautiful and when you think of it like that and you um you know I'm pouring over these maps of my local area just because you know there's my own personal interest in where I'm now living um and just trying to to find out there's a little burn that I've been doing a study on um which absolutely rages after the 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 rain's been um and it's called blacksmith's burn and there's a gallic name alt gobain um i probably pronounced that completely incorrectly though um and you know it's just that again knowing that that obviously had a link to, in the past to a, a blacksmith's forge um is for me it's really interesting and it, it adds it's another dimension it's not just another burn in the hillside um it, there's something there's something you know it has a historical connection and there's so much history in scotland isn't there there's just it's just filled with it do you have um so you're living at the moment in lechmelm which is um actually very close to where i used to live for many many years so i i know i know the area really well i know the farm um but you've have you just bought a house is that right yeah i've just um bought a an old croft cottage um that needs complete renovation um and it's the highest dwelling on the lock side so there's no not even any vehicle access up to it so you're talking about remote and rural living um yeah i've 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 picked <laughs> i've picked an an interesting spot um so to get up to the cottage is a is a hike up the hillside up you know um adjacent to a gully and it's a beautiful beautiful walk but it just means that everything that i move up there has got to be carried on my back or um put in a power barrow and and steered up there um but the views are to die for and you know as a photographer it, it means i've got i'm perfectly placed between you know higher ground or the shore um and you know that's where i'm happiest between between the mountains and the sea so yeah that's where i'm hoping to create a little studio up there um for my work and 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 i think at the moment i'm not getting very much work done on the renovation side of the house because i go up there and i'm just totally captivated by you know i'm i'm just watching the light and the clouds drift and the the patterns on the lock and it it's just yeah stunning absolutely stunning it will be nice one day up there it will be hopefully habitable <laughs> will there be a road up to it then eventually or will you just keep everybody keeps asking me that um and i think in some ways it might spoil it you know i quite like the fact that there is a this you know beautiful walk up to it and they just hear the sound of the burners as i'm walking up um and to put, i mean to put a, a track in um would be would be convenient particularly when you know i'm trying to work out the logistics of how i'm going to get building materials and things up there or or even people to help me you know 
Um, so that could be a challenge. Um, but on the other hand, I quite like the fact that, you know, I think also historically it was built, you know, up there without a track. Um, and there was a croft there and the, the land was worked. So I'm in two minds and it's very, very costly. I think I'm going to need to spend what I, what I do have and, you know, any savings that I then accrue, um, on just doing the basics first. So a track will be way down the line. <laughs> That's incredible. I don't know anybody who lives quite quite so um, off the beaten track. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's beautiful. I'll, I'll I'll pop up and see you when I'm um, when I feel like a walk up the hill. <laughs> yes, do at some point. <laughs> Coffee and cake at the top. <laughs> yeah, by the time you get that, it's just 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 beautiful. Do you have um? Do you enjoy the islands as well as equally to the mainland? Then, but is it the places that you particularly are drawn to on the islands apart from egg? Um, islands are you know they are very different. It's a different a different sense when you're on an island. Um, and, you know, I've spent time in the Western Isles. I've been to Rum and um, Canna. So I, and they've all got a very different identity, um, a different vibe, um, different features, um, different characters. Um, and living where, where I've chosen to live, because it's sort of on a peninsula, it feels like it's an island because... You know, I have to go round the other side of the lock, and it's on the other side of Allerpool. So it almost feels like I'm I'm still on a little island, even though I'm not. Um, and I am. I think yeah, there's there's differences, but um, I think moving to the mainland was important for me in in terms of being able to progress with you know cast the net a bit further in terms of photographic work I think I realized that you know particularly during lockdown when I you know I was on egg for the first lockdown and, and living alone there um although you've got the community everything shut down the only thing that was open was the shop the drawbridge bridge was raised in terms of you know there weren't we had less ferries coming than we did in the winter timetable of ferries um so we, it was very very cut off um but I think, yeah, the move in order to fulfill sort of what I want to do photographically, I needed to make that move um, to the mainland just so that I do have a wider area to cover um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's fantastic. So um, just just finally, I just wanted to quickly touch on something um we were talking about earlier about um forest bathing you you were just you were just telling me um before we started recording a little bit about it would you mind just just telling us a little bit um about what you're doing with that and how that integrates with the photography yeah absolutely um as you know as we've said my approach is very mindful to my photography in 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 that you know i think the two are just a, a linked and I think forest bathing is another way of connecting to the landscape, to the environment. Um, and it's a way of um, using all your senses to, to connect to that. And that a lot of the um, activities that you do in forest bathing, which are known as invitations, are, are very mindfully led. They're sensory led. And they're things that I think cross over very much into 
the, the approach that I take to um, photography. Um, so I did, I signed up, you know, during lockdown, I think I, I, I read more books in, in lockdown than I have done in the last 10 years. And I decided, you know, I really wanted to um, study this in more depth and was um, realized that, you know, the health and well-being benefits of forest bathing and just being outdoors and connecting to nature. And the same is true for, you know, a sort of mindful photography approach. Um, so I'd like to combine the two um, and, and run some workshops <clears throat> eventually um, in that area. Um, and I think that I, I read one book that was um, on sort of contemplative photography by a guy called Howard Zier, which was suggesting that, you know, the language of photography is, is really quite aggressive because we shoot, we aim, we take, we capture, and it's almost predatory language. But if you switch that over to, instead of take a photograph, receive, and it's that approach that I really thought, you know what, I actually connect to that because I now, you know, go out with not a specific intention in mind, um, but I go out and I wait to see what the landscape reveals to me. And the same is true in sort of forest bathing. You notice things, you learn to notice things that you otherwise probably wouldn't have noticed. And you make those connections. You, you're using all your senses. So your sense of smell, sight, hearing, and even just, you know, sense of feeling underfoot, you know, what's beneath your feet and feeling grounded. Um, so it's those connections and that um, sort of crossover that um, that really interests me. And I think it's also a way of really promoting um, the fact that we really need to look after our planet. And if people can make those, those connections and realize, you know, that that it is such a beautiful place and, you know, have we the beautiful unspoiled landscapes up here, then they're going to have a greater desire to want to protect it and become sort of custodians of, of, of these areas, these wild landscapes. So I think that's my motivation to, to, to really get people to want to protect these areas um, and, and also for their own health and well-being. Um, it's a reciprocal um, relationship. Um, you, you know, with the forest bathing, you, you're, you're giving and receiving at the same time. Um, and I think if you approach that photographically as well, if you go out and think, right, I'm not going to snap this, I'm not going to take this, I'm going to receive what, what um, the landscape or Mother Nature decides to reveal um, and you develop that mindfulness in terms of things like gratitude, patience, um, that comes hand in hand. You know, you need to be patient as a photographer. You know, you're waiting for the light, the right light. Um, but it, you know, um, it doesn't always deliver. Um, and so if you don't go out with an intention in mind, you're not going to be disappointed. You know, if you go out thinking, right, I'm going to grab that sunset and it doesn't happen, then you're going to be disappointed. But if you go out with the intention of waiting to see what you find out there, um, 
then I think it's a different experience altogether and a more rewarding one. That's that's wonderful. It's it's um I I feel calmer listening to you. So <laughs> it's uh, it's been lovely to speak to you. Um and I think um I think it'd be very interesting to see um if you're going to do any sort of mindful workshops in the in the Highlands of Scotland because that that would be very interesting to a lot of people I think. Um so can you just finally just tell um everybody where they can find you so they can have a look at your work? Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a website, which is um, justinerichie.com. Um, so you can find me on there. And I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So if you just type in my name or at Justine Ritchie, you should find me. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. for listening today I'm truly grateful for you taking the time out to listen in if you feel inspired in any way I'd really appreciate it if you could share or review the show you can also share it on Instagram and tag me or reach out with any thoughts I'm at Margaret Soraya and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode